It's Dr. Stu's Podcast at drstuespodcast.com. I'm Brian Whitman, along with my friend, Dr. Stuart Fishbein, of course. Hi, Brian. Hi, how are you? I'm really good. I had a great week. I did... uh Three births this past week. I know I was going to say it was a marathon Thursday. Dr. Stu, Dr. Stu, American hero, brought <laughs> three babies into the world within a 24-hour period. Yeah, it was exciting. I had uh, I did a water birth, a home forceps delivery, and a home breach delivery all within 24 hours. Wow. You sleep a lot in that 24? And they, and they all lived. Thank goodness. Absolutely, <laughs> right? Yeah. Now, the water, very quickly, you sleep, uh, I guess, wherever you can at that point, right? Yeah, yeah. You you sleep on people's couches and on their on their floors, and you grab a couple hours here and there between what you can do. And, you know, when you're at a home birth, you don't always have, you're not always doing stuff. Plus, I'm there with a team. I usually have a midwife, and there's often a doula. At uh, three, two of the three births, we had a doula, which we're, I think we're going to talk a little bit about today. Why don't you get right to it? Yep. In a few moments, we will meet here Sarah Avalos. I said it correctly, right? Yes, you did. She is a doula. Now, I, now you are a very young, uh, you appear to be a very young, attractive lady. You can't be a doula for a long time. You have to be sort of a new doula, right? I am a new doula, or as they refer to us, a nula. <laughs> and um, I've been tra- I've been doing it uh, informally for about three years, but trained uh, last September. Now, forgive me, because I'm the guy on the street who knows a little bit about a lot of things. But I have to tell you, I don't really know exactly what a doula does. What does a doula do? A doula is um, informational support to women uh, before they have babies and then also uh, during labor and birth, we can, you know, just hold space, hold space for women um, or physically massage them, anything they need. And then, of course, postpartum helping establish with breastfeeding. So yeah, the like doula, by the way, doula is a, is a Greek word. D-O-U-L-A. Right. It's yes. a Greek word that means uh, a woman who serves or what used to be called a handmaiden. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. So the doula, for Mm -hmm. uh, folks following along, because a lot of people are learning about midwifery, they're learning about home births, just from hearing Dr. Stu's podcast, a doula works with the midwife. Or the doula is the midwife. No. Okay. We have that confusion. I'm confused Uh, already. I I arrived confused. So a midwife is also a member of the medical board as a physician. And a doula in our code of conducts or our code of ethics, we do not perform a clinical or any type of medical tasks. So we're simply there for the mother, um, for being a gopher to, you know, doing the double hip squeeze, which is a certain method for back relief during labor. So mm. it really is a wide range of things. Yeah, what, what doulas do, Brian, is is they support a woman from the early parts of labor all the way through and sometimes even into the postpartum period. And they generally never leave the woman's side other than themselves to go to the bathroom oh, or wow, get something so to eat. It's quite a job. And it, and, and it has nothing to do necessarily with midwifery or home birthing because doulas are with patients whether they go at home or at hospital. As a matter of fact, one of the things that I've talked about previously on the show is that for people that end up choosing a hospital birth for whatever reason, uh, the chance of them having a success in the hospital is significantly increased mm. when they have a doula. Mm. As a matter of fact, I just happen to have some statistics right here. Oh, look at this, a doctor with some stats. Which I think <laughs> is actually, these are very impressive, and I, I looked these up this morning uh-huh. because I knew Sarah was coming in, and it, uh, there was a study that included over 15,000 women, and it was a con- uh, collaborative group of uh, papers put together, and they found that Doulas in, in, with women in the hospital had a 28% decrease in the risk of a cesarean section. Mm, wow. A 31% decrease in the use of Pitocin. A 
9% decrease in the use of any medication for pain relief. Wow. 14% decrease in the risk of a newborn being admitted to the special care nursery. Wow. And a 34% uh, de- well, it's a sort of a double negative, but decrease in the risk of being dissatisfied with the birth experience. In other words, when women have a doula, they have a better birth experience. You know what I'm thinking? I, 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 Sarah Avalos is with us, of course, here on Dr. Stu's podcast. She's a doula. I'm going to put it this way. I think the doula is the pregnant lady's bestie. Right from the time she goes into labor, you're her bestie until right. You're right there for her. You're providing emotional support and sometimes physical support. Yes. And uh, obviously, we've talked, uh, of course, many times about the stress involved or the stress level escalating stress as labor goes on, and you are there to sort of mitigate that. Yes. And, and yeah, um, I think it's funny you say as a bestie, which I think if we go back a hundred years in childbirth, um, in communities where women were having, you know, mostly their children at home they were having their besties, so to speak, their um, their mothers, their older daughters, possibly nieces, cousins. There were females there surrounding them during birth. And um, some of it's just, you know, talking them through it or not talking at all, just being there with a wet cloth or something. But yeah, we definitely are um, their besties, so to speak, and helping them through that time. Because of the, because of the, the number of years now that we've taken birth away from home and put it in the hospital, uh, most... Americans have never seen a birth other than maybe on YouTube. Uh, they've never witnessed birth. But, but as Sarah said, 100 years ago, uh, birth was a common, it took place in the home. It was surrounded by the women and the female children. Mm. And it was not atypical for the siblings to be around when a baby was born. Mm. And so it, it, it provided a very safe, nurturing environment that people were familiar with. And birth wasn't as scary. Having doulas back now is is sort of bringing back that sense of, uh, warmth and and uh, comfort to a woman who's in labor by having someone who's not there for medical uh, information, although they they have some because they've been around and observed it a lot. They're not really supposed to give it, but more more so that they can intervene and keep the woman from having to deal with issues or other questions and let the woman stay in her primitive brain so that she can have labor and not be. Uh, uh, dragged into being interrupted all the time, which we've yes. talked about before with we, them. Yeah, we have. It would seem to me, Sarah, now you have uh, two babies. You have a four-year-old girl and a yes. two-year-old boy. Yes. It would seem to me that to be a doula, it would probably be really helpful that you be a mom, but it's not required, is it? It is not required. Um, of course, the extra experience, I think, um, on the doula's end, it helps a lot because you know and you can sympathize firsthand with what that mother's going through. And, you know, having that experience also in the postpartum, you know, sometimes that's unknown territory to the woman um, and you have a great, you know, birth experience. And then, you know, I had some anxiety attacks to deal with after and I felt like you personally, yes, me personally. And, you know, it was really helpful to have those women around me or even my husband to help me um, get through those. But it's all uncharted territory sometimes for the first time mother or somebody birthing um, outside of where they're familiar with. And it's always great to have that support. Dr. Stu, is it possible or common? I'm sure everything's possible. Anything's possible. I'll ask if it's common for a uh, for a woman to have a relatively stress-free, uh, almost uneventful uh, delivery and then have anxiety attacks afterwards? Uh, yeah, Brian, it, it is. Although, although People that have anxiety attacks uh, during or after their pregnancy will generally have some signs or, or symptoms prior to even being pregnant. I mean, it tends to be a uh, tendency that they have. I mean, people that are anxious or nervous or, 
OCD or type A or whatever you want to call it, you know, that trait doesn't necessarily go away. Although I have seen women who used to be very fastidious and when they have two or three children around have finally just thrown up their hands and said, I, I don't care anymore about mm-hmm. messes. And so there's yeah. some, some relief from that. But yeah, you can certainly deal with certain aspects of pregnancy because you have a strong support system through the pregnancy. And then suddenly, whether it's a hospital birth and it's two days afterwards and you go home or whether it's a home birth and it's six hours afterwards and your team leaves yeah. and suddenly it's like, now what? Right. right. And I'll chime in on that. Um, it was with my second um, child and I did have anxiety attacks. I think that I didn't know what they were before. And I was concerned that my daughter wasn't going to be able to be present there at the home birth. And for some reason, I had myself in my mind in labor already at 36 weeks, I'm going to have to go to the hospital and she cannot join me. And that was such an important thing for me, even though she was two, she still remembers it now. I bet. Um, And that was what brought on anxiety, you know, Prior to that, I want to talk about the these home births and specifically about the water birth that Doctor Stu uh, participated in just a few moments ago. But I have, I have, uh, I don't know if it's an important question, but uh, to me, it's of interest. I was reading a report. This might be years ago, and and for some reason, I think maybe I was sitting in a doctor's office reading a medic, reading a medical magazine. But you know, there has been, of course, uh, for a long time, a stigma associated with taking certain medications, uh, psychotropic drugs that that deal with anxiety, that deal with stress, and things like this. And uh, you a moment ago, Doctor Stu, touched on, uh, you know, a, a woman, the the. Uh, the commonality or the or the likelihood that a woman uh, who's pregnant might have have a history of anxiety attacks before obviously even being pregnant. There seems to be with certain medications and maybe we can list them, not list them, but talk about them. This stigma associated with I, I guess, say it simply. A lot of women are told when they're pregnant to be on as little medication as possible. Is that, is that stigma still around? Like a like a, a, a woman who's prone to anxiety attacks, she's pregnant. She takes Xanax, for example. You know, this, this, maybe her mother-in-law, somebody said, oh, don't take that stuff. Don't take that stuff. At least while, at least for nine months, don't take that stuff. Is there any truth to that? Is it, does it impact the baby? Is, is that a legitimate concern? Yeah, well, it's the, the way that I and I think that most uh, medical professionals are taught is, a, is to look at things in, a, in the ratio of a risk versus benefit. And any specific uh, medication has a risk, and any specific medication has a benefit. Not taking the medication has a risk, not taking the medication has a benefit. So you have to weigh the risks and benefits on an individual basis. There's no blanket statement for that. But if you're talking about medicines like Prozac or Lexapro or uh, Xanax or Ativan or Ambien, we, we try what we can to do to get people if you can't get them off those medications prior to conception or switch them to a medication that we know is what we could, would call a category B, which is, has, carries less risk than a category C or category D medication. And, and, uh, but you, it depends. You have, if it's something, if somebody has a severe anxiety disorder, severe depression, they, the risks of taking them off the medication may be too great. And so there's a collaboration often between the medical practitioner and the psychiatric practitioner or the therapist to discuss these things amongst themselves along with the patient to determine what's best for this patient. But ultimately, if the mother is, is unhealthy mentally, then it's very possible that, it's, that that's harmful to the pregnancy and the baby as well. She's how, not going to eat, she's not going to sleep well, and, and that's detrimental to the pregnancy. Dr. Stu, how, how much does a woman's brain chemistry shift or change during a pregnancy? 
Well, uh, is that an unfair question? Yeah, I don't know that you can quantify it, Brian, because some women don't have any real problems adapting to pregnancy and other women have extreme problems adapting to pregnancy. And again, it's, it gets back to that question you asked earlier. I think that there is underlying issues in some uh, people that are hard to quantify. But definitely, I mean, look at, you know, PMS is a, or premenstrual dysphoric disorder, as it's called now, is, is a real thing. And it happens, it has to do with changing hormones in just the menstrual cycle. So when you put together the, the amazing cocktail of hormones that's going on in pregnancy, clearly there's, def, there's going to be some changes. Uh, some are biologically beneficial. Some are probably detrimental. But the, you can't really tell how an individual woman's going to react. You can probably, can I probably ask Sarah, Sarah, you know, you had two pregnancies. How, how, did, how did you respond to your first one and your second one? Was there some major changes in them? Were the two different from each other? Um, I think the first time around, you're kind of focusing on one, one being. Um, and then I think that all changes after you have your first one. And then your world kind of shifts. And then you're so concerned about this one that you've already brought. And then the second time around, for me, just speaking for myself, um, it was completely different because now you're worrying about two. And for me, it felt almost multiplied, um, literally and uh, figuratively. And um, it was completely I had two completely different experiences but the second time I wasn't like throw my hands up I don't care it was more um like this is more weight on my shoulders this is more responsibility but um hormonally I felt like I needed um how would you like more support mm. with the kids and everything the like second that. time the second time and that then helped with the hormonal transition but it was definitely more amplified do you think that you were time. do you think that you were functioning uh, the same as when you're not pregnant? Do you think that if I asked your husband, uh, how were you, you know, how are you when you're not pregnant versus how were you during your first pregnancy or second pregnancy? What sort of answer might we get? Oh, it's probably definitely worse after my son was out <laughs> than before. It was definitely ideal to have an 18 month old and then be pregnant than having two, you know, energetic kids and then having the hormonal transition. <laughs> Yeah. Right. So it was tougher after you had your second baby. Exactly. And, and, and that with two little tot, little little babies at all. Yeah. Home. Isn't that interesting? Sarah Avalos is with us. She is a doula. She has a... What's your baby girl's name? Amara. It's a pretty name. And Thank your you. son's name is? Pedro. Okay. He's two. She's four. Yes. Uh, you had her at the hospital. I did. And this is interesting because we talk here on Dr. Stu's podcast mm -hmm. a lot about, of course, home birthing and the alternative uh, to having your baby at home rather than in a hospital. And we've had many interesting conversations about the differences and, of course, the benefits of having your baby at home. Let's talk, Sarah, at least for a moment about your personal experience. You, you had your, your baby girl four years ago yes. at a hospital. Two years later, you had your son at home. Was there an event? Was there a, 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 a one kind of particular factor that made you decide to have your second baby at home rather than go to a hospital to do it? Um, I think in the birth community, we talk a lot about um, traumatic birth experiences, unnecessary cesareans. For me, um, it wasn't so much the hospital experience with the birth. It was um, the prenatal care. Uh, I had one physician, I was talking to Dr. Stu earlier about it. She was filling in for my obstetrician and I was about 34 weeks pregnant. And, you know, my daughter was transverse in the uterus, which is basically oblong. And she said that I might start considering my C-section birth. And I kind of looked at my husband and he gave me a funny look back. And 
you know, we were planning a date to the beach. So we went from Mission Hills, California to Malibu and I cried the entire way. And finally he, you know, I was basically unconsolable until he goes, look, nobody's going to cut you unless they have a medically necessary reason. It's just not going to happen. So his logic, thankfully, kind of snapped me out of it and we went on with our day. But for me, it's, you know, they don't medical personnel for the most part. They don't think when they're talking to a woman, what effect that's going to have not only on their day, but their um, experience when they look back on it. And I felt, you know, she wasn't my OB, but how dare you? You know, you ruined my day trying to go have a nice time. I'm 34 weeks pregnant and that's the last thing I need. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, when we went to the hospital, it wasn't my OB that was there, but it was a very nice gentleman um, who happens to be, you know, what I know now is very accepting of ho home birth transports to the hospital mm -hmm. and, you know, what we would call an MD, which is a midwife in disguise. And luckily, Dr. Sue doesn't have to wear a disguise. But in this case, he did. He was great. And, um, you know, the whole experience in the hospital was awesome, except for the fact that they didn't want me to get out of bed. And I, you know, kept requesting an epidural and I get up to use the restroom and then I was fine. I was like, I can do this. I'm okay. And, you know, it, it's not always the traumatic portion uh, happening in birth. It's also leading up to that. So, And it sounds like after, too, obviously. Well, yes, and, after, yeah. Right? yeah. Uh, th these, uh, this, uh, Dr. Stu, the, the, sor the, the story that Sarah shares, the spirit of it, is, uh, is uh, too commonly heard by you, I assume. Yeah, it's one of those things, because I'm a sort of a focal point for people who come in with looking for other alternatives, I hear this sort of story oh, dozens of times a week, uh, either uh, in person or in group meetings or lectures or uh, on the internet. And uh, when I hear Sarah talk about somebody at 34 weeks uh, saying to them that because the baby's sideways, you should plan about your C-section is quite frankly idiotic. And I, I just think that, it, that as Sarah said, I think these people are so mechanical in, in what they're doing and they have no connection to Sarah or Sarah's husband personally, especially since this was a substitute physician that day, that they don't even think about what they're saying and how it's going to affect them. And I just would have them take a moment and think, how would they feel if someone said that to them? But I don't think that that comes into play. I think they're only thinking about, well, babies transverse, transverse babies can't deliver vaginally, so let's talk about a C-section. But it's, it's not even relevant at 34 weeks. It's not even relevant to talk about trying to turn the baby at 34 weeks because 95 to 97% of babies will turn head down by 36 weeks. So you really, why say anything other than, oh, your baby's just really active and moving around and, and be something and say something reassuring and they'll say, say, see you back in two weeks and maybe write a little note in the chart so that it reminds you to look to at yourself. it. To yourself. To yourself and not freak the person out. So this, this sort of stuff, I mean, along the very same line, just, a, just two weeks earlier, I saw a woman at 30 weeks who was seen by her obstetrician, found out to be breech at 30 weeks, and was told that she should plan to schedule her cesarean section. And this is three months, two and a half months, prior to when she's due. So she came to see, see me at the sanctuary for a second opinion, three days later, and the baby's head down. So for three days, she suffered yep. unnecessary anxiety mm -hmm. because of something stupid uh, do you think, that people said. Stuart, in an example like that, and Sarah, really, thanks for, for the candor and for sharing that, that okay. story. Are, are, are these... Are, are, are your colleagues, medical professionals, doctors, would they say, hey, come on, guys, take it easy on us. We're being efficient. 
I mean, m- might they defend it as efficiency? Might they say, hey, look, w- we're just trying to prepare? I mean, what, 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 would, what would a colleague, of, what would the person who remains unnamed, of course, uh, who said that to Sarah, what might her defense be if she were sitting here? Her initial response would be the denial that she said it. She would just say that she misheard me. She misunderstood what I said. That's what they would say, because there is no defense to, to, the, to saying that. If, if what Sarah heard, if she had been recording it, is what she said, it would make her look like an idiot, as I said earlier. Mm-hmm. So, so, and it's very possible sometimes that, that the doctor was right, that some people often misunderstand. The words that come out of my mouth are not the words that someone else hears, or at least not what I thought I said. But isn't that such a big part of being a doctor? Well, How are your words going to be heard by the patient standing in the office? And Sarah and her husband both heard it, and it's not something that I doubt. But I'm just saying that she would have said something to the fact that I didn't. that's not what I meant. Right. Uh, yeah. Or she was just thinking ahead, and she would apologize. You know, and hopefully she would have just apologize yeah. for, for adding that stress on. I, I don't think there's any defense for that because there's no medical evidence-based uh, mm. Uh, way to ju- to justify what mm-hmm. what you say at thirty four weeks, and when you had your uh, when you had your boy at home, that I, I assume the house. I'm trying to think how you would, Randy. I mean, like if if you if you were doing this, wouldn't you? Uh, you'd have food, right? Wouldn't if you were having it, right? Wouldn't you? You'd cater the event, right? If you're having a baby at home, wouldn't you want to have some food, right? I'd order a pizza halfway yeah, get, through. Yeah, get some pizzas over there. Diet Coke. Yeah, got a lot of Diet Coke. <laughs> some I, Pepsi, some ring dings. We'll get it all ready to go. Sort of make an event. I mean, I, uh, were, were there a lot of people at your home when you had your son, or was it just a very small nucleus of people around, or was it, dare I say, sort of an event that... that the family came you want to make for? this a big party well i'm trying to but one day i'm gonna have to go if i'm allowed at some point to attend a home birth i would like to do that just to kind of appreciate the atmosphere in the home i mean it's, n- it's something that i've never participated in maybe you could the, rent a moon bounce they could have the baby in there well that might be know, an option there's nothing there's nothing quite like it and so sarah so tell us did you have what? Did, did family come over or uh no actually <laughs> on the contrary we told everybody to kind of butt out so to speak and not in the breach sense but um to just get out so um you know as my husband and myself and our midwife her assistant and who basically served as my doula and then my daughter and i went into labor about 10 30 11 o'clock ish and at night. My, in the evening in, at, night. at night excuse me just put my daughter down to sleep and very common by the way that is like yeah. a classic story of the day settles down and things start quiet down and then labor ensues. That's well, just- and funny enough, it was the day that my midwife ca- came for a home visit and they usually come make sure where everything's going to be set up and things like that. So she had come, lost my mucus plug or had my bloody show, so to speak, in which same thing happened with my daughter. And I kept telling her, you know, tonight's going to happen. And she was kind of like, well, we'll see. And I'm like, well, I'll see you back about midnight. And Oh, wow. So uh, my husband, you know, in the living room with a friend, and I kept, you know, getting back and forth from the restroom to the bedroom. And my friend's like, what's wrong with her? And, you know, my husband's <laughs> like, oh, she thinks she's in labor or whatever. So, uh, <laughs> so he's, he's watching ESPN he, or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or home tattoos, you know, that was happening. So I was, you know, um, there and just going back and forth. And he, you know really calm both times and so that kind of put me in the thought oh maybe it's you know just you know a little bit of cramping whatever and then so about an hour goes by and I keep pacing and I keep you know and my husband's like well let me start timing these so they're about uh three 
to five minutes apart, varying. And he goes, do you think we should call Renee, which was my midwife? Right. And I said, well, yeah, just give it. And then he started timing them. They got a little closer within the span of about 20 minutes. So, so I'm guessing someone calls Renee at this point. Yes. So my <laughs> first time, my daughter was born in five and a half hours. So... Um, Which is really fast for yeah, first, for first time. time. Yeah, right? for first time. I'm and learning, Stu. See, I'm yes. learning. Five and a half hours, first baby, that's quick. Yes. Okay, see. And so at home, I just, I did not want a birth without the support of, you know, the help of a midwife. Sure. So I said, yeah, let's go ahead and call her. And then she got there, um, checked me upon my request, and I was about seven centimeters. And she goes, well, let's just hang out. And so they got the birth pool ready. My husband got the water on the boil, just like a good old husband. And, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, really, we, I listened and, you know, my husband and her, she's a Yankees fan. My husband's Dodger fan. Oh. Heard that conversation. And okay. I tell him to shut the hell up. Went in between contractions so I could get my two cents in. Right. And then I shifted over when my neocortex basically took a back seat and, um, that's basically the compartment of your brain that helps you drive a car, spell mm. your name, that type of thing. And it's really at an at rest state, I would say, um, when you're giving birth. So once I couldn't talk anymore and then my midwife's assistant came and started helping me, you know, with the massage and stuff. And Is that, that common? That happens. I mean, forgive me, you lose the ability to speak. No, not lose the ability just to, to put a shut it, you shut it down. Yeah, you, you really? shut it down. Yeah, it's a it's a it's the primitive brain function labor is and and the neocortex actually gets in the way. You want to you want to yes. shut it down. And if if and when you come to a birth with me, Brian, yeah. you'll see the transition of women who go from sort of chatty early in labor to maybe talking to eventually telling people to shut up and then to essentially look, just focusing inward. In the last uh, whatever few minutes, wow, hours. pretty dramatic. I it, would assume to watch. It's dramatic, but it and it's beautiful, and it's it's normal. It's mm. it's what it's how. I hate to keep getting back to this, but it's how mammals give birth. Yeah. It is. We're a human species, and now, we're mammals. So. You said your husband, uh, you know, got the birth pool ready, and Doctor yeah. Stu said on Thursday again. Doctor Stu, our American hero, within a twenty-four hour period <laughs> on Thursday. Randy, you've heard about when two, we last left our hero. Yeah, when we last left Doctor Stu <laughs> at two a.m. on a Thursday to about two a.m. on a Friday, three babies within a twenty-four hour period. That's huge. One of them was in the was in the was a water birth. Now, forgive me. I'm thinking kiddie pool, little plastic kiddie pool. That's it, right? Or you can, I'm sure if you want to go high end, you can go buy from some fancy schmancy place uh, a, a, a birthing pool, right? Right. Or most, home, most home birth practitioners have a pool. Yes. And because it was her second baby, I had gone over to her house a couple weeks earlier and dropped the pool in a pump to blow it up off at her house so mm -hmm. that, because I, I knew she lived in the hills of Malibu. Uh, along a dirt road and I knew that there was no way that if she went fast that anybody was going to get to her in time to let her get in the water you know, So forgive me is it like blowing up an air mattress? Yeah, it is. It's uh it's got but it's got different levels in it so it can't collapse on itself and it's very heavy duty. It's uh it's it's you know it's strong. It's sort of like a like a a raft would be uh the same made out of that same material. So mom is the only one in the pool or dad gets everybody it's, in the pool? It I could mean, be any, yeah, it <laughs> could be anybody, but in this case mom was in the pool by herself, but sometimes dad gets in, holds on to her, sometimes the little sibling gets in the pool too. Dr. Stu ever get in the pool? 
No, Dr. Stu never gets in the pool. Dr. Stu does not get Beyond in the pool. his elbow, Dr. Stu never gets in okay, the pool. Okay, okay, okay. And you were, uh, Sarah, in the pool. I was in the pool. Okay. Um, totally inappropriate, no, but, Brian. That was that was an inappropriate question. Was it? I'm sorry. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> no. I, see, I don't know. I just asked them. I just asked the questions. And half the time they're I was in the birthing tub, if you want to call it, or birthing pool. Well, yeah. Birth, yeah. It can I be, like it, the pool. But can, they're not little kiddie pools. I mean, they're, they're, yeah, they're, they're different. And they got yeah. little handles on them, a little seat to sit on. So okay. you would recommend Sometimes, don't go to Toys R Us and pick up one of those no no I wouldn't. <laughs> no as a, yeah they're, they'd probably be dangerous for toddlers because they're, they're they're deep theoretically yeah. yes so. they are okay so i was in oh no yeah please okay you, um, i was in the pool and you know i was the um you know i really wanted them to rupture my water but that just wasn't happening and i think um in mainstream society checking your own cervix isn't you know a common practice but i was and so I'm very happy to say that and share that that's what you can do at home if you're, you know, in your primal state. And so I was and I just kind of told them it was time and I instinctually got out of the pool and went to my couch, which was covered in plastic. Mm -hmm. I'll make sure you know that. Okay. And then um, pushed him out. Um, On the sofa. On the sofa. And my husband was happy nobody called the cops because apparently I was cursing very loud. And <laughs> at that point, when, and that's what you, you know, you do. You do things that are out of the ordinary sometimes when you're laboring or birthing. and Right, leaving the pool and going to the sofa, it just sort of, you just Well, I meant the cursing. But, no, right, no, yeah. no, but, but leaving the pool and going, I mean. Yeah, that, I just, you know, I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere in my mind. Okay. And hey, I said on the sofa it is. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah, people, people, when they're in. Uh, when women like, you know, all the old Italian grandmothers on, on Staten Island I grew up, they always had all the plastic covering their, their furniture anyway. Well, yeah, so my, yeah we, did, we had that too. When I grew up, everybody had a living room that no one used. It right. was, it, exactly. It was, it was really, really sort of funny. But no, the idea of, uh, of being able to move about in pregnancy is, is huge because. If you watch a woman who's free to move about in pregnancy, they'll do what they need to do. And someone will stay in water like the client that I had the other night. And what Sarah did is very common. A lot of people will be in the water because it's comfortable. It helps them get through that transition. It's a way of dealing with pain rather than, than having a, you know, a pain medicine or an epidural. And is that temperature about a, a temperature of a bathtub? About 99? It's about 98, oh, 99. It's warm. It's, so it's very warm, warm. Okay. yes. Yeah, but it's not, it's not too warm. It's, you know, it's about the same temperature as the amniotic fluid would be. Okay. Yes. So when the baby comes out, speaking of which, I mean, people think, well, does the baby come out and then stay underwater? And how does it breathe? And doesn't it swallow the, uh, the, 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 the filthy uh, yeah. the, the water that's got uh, meconium and you know, blood sure. and blood clots and mucus? No, they don't do that. I mean, the, the baby comes out in the water and then the mother just naturally, you don't have to say anything. The mother will generally reach down and just pull the baby right up onto mm-hmm. her chest. Oh, wow. It's a very amazing thing to watch, and of course, we're there. We're there in water births mainly, mainly as assistants. In in water births, a lot of, essentially the mother delivers her own baby, and we're just there to help protect the, the woman's bottom and make sure that the, if there's a cord around the neck, we can slip it over the head and do the things to make mm-hmm. sure that the baby mm-hmm. comes out. But other than that, uh, it, it's a, it's 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 very comfortable for the baby. It's certainly obviously not natural. Mm-hmm. I mean, if if water births were natural for for land mammals, they would all might we'd all migrate to the sea to give birth, mm. yeah. and we don't do that. So the idea that some people say, well, water birth is more natural, and, you know, I I would argue that it's really actually not natural. It's more natural, it's definitely for a more fish. comfortable. And may I add, um, with the whole umbilical cord thing, um, or not being able to breathe, I should say, my son's umbilical cord was wrapped about 
it was two or three times around his neck. And later when he was about three to four months old, I heard a story. I don't know how much truth it had to it from a friend that said, oh my gosh, my boyfriend's sister had to have a cesarean because the cord was around, you know, the poor little boy's neck and he couldn't breathe. And I'm thinking he couldn't breathe. What, you know, right. they Most don't. Most people breathe. don't understand yeah. this. We've talked about this so, on the show and yeah. it's great because in order to choke on something, you have to be breathing air and babies exactly. aren't breathing air until they're out exactly and then it's not so it's not a problem yeah, as long but, as that cord's attached they're getting plenty of air but that's another one of those idiotic things that you sarah's heard i've heard anybody who's in the birthing world has heard that other doctors have said there's you know there's a website out there and i don't i i, I don't go to it very often but it's called uh your doctor said what <laughs> I've seen that. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah. And it's that's uh, funny. so. I, I mean, I'm, I'm giving them a free plug. But, sure, but it's certainly something worth going to see. Oh, well, Randy, yeah. Randy's pulling it up well, right it's now. Amazing. It's, it's sort of like uh, the power of suggestion. Wow, how quickly he moved to that website. Uh, yeah, but but uh, so getting in out of the wa- getting out of the water at the very end is a very normal thing as well. Yeah, you know, some I women saw- want to be on all fours in the tub. Some right. women want to be sitting. It's it, it's that's what's beautiful about. The whole process. I saw a video on CNN. I think it's a YouTube video, but they were featuring it uh, on the news. This is uh, just a number of weeks ago, and it was a baby. I don't know how old the baby was, but it was a tiny baby, and mom and dad uh, were helping the baby swim. So there was sort of a level of it that was slightly controversial, but it was actually sort of a very cute video. And the suggestion made by one of the folks in the video is that babies are so much more comfortable in and about water than we as adults think they would be. It was it was sort of interesting. I mean, yeah, I'm you not, know, I'm not I, saying you take your baby for swimming lessons, but certainly that was the proof of this video was that, you know, don't let it shock you. This baby's actually enjoying it was a little boy himself in this water. Um, I think it's very common for babies um, to be comfortable in water. My two were. I don't know. I have few friends that their children aren't, but um, I definitely think they're comfortable um, to a further degree than we think. But of course, you don't want your child to drown either. So. Right, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, no, you can't, you, you can't, you can't have him laying face down in the pool. I wouldn't advise that. Right. No, I would not. Yeah, Randy's planning his his uh, first child and throwing him in the pool and see what happens. I think Randy yeah, actually toss him and see what happens. I think Randy would be a great candidate uh, if he were going to be a dad. I think he would sign off on a home birth right away. I, oh yeah, I'm down I get for that. This. I get that sense. You know, I'm a little more paranoid, a little more neurotic. You know, I, I'd li- oh yeah, you know, I'd want to do it. You know, with you'd uh, want your own epidural. Oh yeah, I mean, just as the oh, dad. Yeah, you know, they said, we don't give those to that. Well, said, we'll change the rules just for today. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I am, again, sort of that. Uh, by the way, I'm not like a very, tra- I'm not like conservative guy, but I just have that sort of, you know, that fear. And, again, I'm not. Uh, You're not a doctor. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a dad. I'm but, not in a position to be a dad at this point. But I would just be a little bit afraid. And that's why when I meet folks like Sarah, and, and again, not just having uh, your own son at home, but being a doula and participating in so many home births uh there's there's uh you know it's uh there's a confidence about it i'd say there you, it, it needs to be it needs to be uh become more mainstream i mean according to the same study that i quoted from earlier only about three percent of births in the united states use doulas yeah. and uh Seems that's kind of low that's, that's tragic very low i mean i would tell you that since 99 percent of births are in the hospital and one percent are at home in this country that the use of doula should be at least 99%. <laughs> right, right, okay. right, right. Um, I agree. And I think that in a doula, Brian, would help you. 
Okay. I agree. Because like right now, n- like do the radio. No, show? no, 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 no. Oh. When you say that, you know, with you, if oh, you were had a wife the, the and, and you doula would be nervous, dads too. Yes, because because you the dad and the doula can bounce off each other, and if the doula is calmly taking care of the woman and not looking like there's anything going on that's wrong, then the father can feel much more reassured because he's not there by himself, completely unprepared. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. not something you've never seen before. You're with an expert who knows, even though they're not medically. Uh, allowed to do anything they know normal versus abnormal yeah. and they can tell you when things aren't mm-hmm. going well and then if but if they're calmly sitting there breathing with your wife and you're standing there too you don't have to ha- take that on yourself you can stare at sarah and sarah can give you the good positive eye contact and you're in, you're in gravy dr Stu, that's interesting it occurs to me sarah that maybe for the doula the motto is never let him see you sweat right you're I, always you're always cool and calm and collected, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right. If if everything's normal, I'm calm and collected. But I'm. But for the benefit of of of, uh, of the mom, of course. And you know, if I do see see something that may be going south or maybe kind of like a warning sign, again, I'm not um, any medical professional, but I may mention to the nurse or uh-huh. to the midwife. Uh, I'm not going to say it to the mother. Sure. Of course. So um, I. Yeah, I wouldn't. Well, and I, I would like I would like to say something about a doula, doulas. Uh, the uh, real a real shout out to them is because they do things that I, as a practitioner, and most midwives I know as a practitioner could never do, and that is be with a woman throughout their entire labor. And quite frankly, and, and I'm not saying this to be uh, negative in any way, but certain women in their labor uh, they're really annoying, and you really want to like hit them over the head mm-hmm. and say, wake up and get with the program. Right. Doulas yeah, have the, the patience thing. of more than just one saint. I mean, they have, they have Pope-like patience. Okay. <laughs> Sarah, what is, what is the longest labor that you've been around for every moment of as a doula? Um, it was about 12 hours, but so see the- Which is not that long. It's not, I was just lucky. gonna say, the beauty of it is, is having a woman there or having that reassurance there um, oftentimes shortens the length of the birth. Mm. And, you know, I've, you know, witnessed that. And so I feel like 12 hours is nothing compared <laughs> to, you know, fellow doula sisters that have attended, you know, 36 hours of labor. Yeah, and the would, mother's more calm. She's It's going to go much smoother, I'd assume. Yeah, I would assume so. And you probably, I assume, maybe have made friends along the way, right? Of course. I mean, my gosh, if, 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 if nothing else in life would bond you, that would have to bond uh, yes. Some uh, uh, two women specifically. Yes. I don't want to be chauvinistic, but I'll say it. <laughs> Would right. you like to be a doulo? Are there male doulas? Doulo? You know what? Doulo? There are. A couple. I think there are, are there? a couple. Yeah. Really? There are. Now, is this a business that is? Uh, are we on the cutting edge here with male doulas, or is this just coming around, or is this not something we're uh, you know? I, I don't see it ever becoming a trend. Yeah, I, okay. I was going to say. Yeah. If the whole point is to have another woman there that understands you. Right, yeah. but yeah. you're amazed. Right. You know, some men are very sensitive to the female experience. No, there are. There are. And there's some wonderful <laughs> male nurses at hospitals sure. in labor and delivery, which you, you would think would be an odd or weird thing, but they, they're terrific. I mean, and obviously... They almost have to be more terrific because they're under certainly a little more scrutiny. Yeah, right. Sort of the reverse discrimination thing. But I think doulas is the is the purveyance of women, 
and I think that they can do it better than any man could ever do it. Plus, they get it. I, I think it'd be a little odd for a, a husband to watch a male doula sitting there massaging their wife's butt. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I think that yeah. might be uncomfortable. That might be odd that, that or, might, or uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. might start a fist fight or two in the delivery room. A little awkward. A little awkward. I, mean, I think we can all agree. A yeah. little awkward, right? Yeah. 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 So you're always Sarah on call is, uh, is sort of like Dr. Stu. You're always, uh, do you have, for example, I, you know, four or five ladies that might be ready to go at any moment now? You know what? No, not right now. I since I am a mother of two and I am also a childbirth educator, I block out um, usually the winter months to accept birth clients. Um, So now I have possibly one in January. Uh, So it's, you know, I spread it out evenly. I don't want to spread, I don't want to lose any quality in my services. Randy and I have a question for both Sarah, of course, she's a doula here on Dr. Stu's podcast and Dr. Stu. Yesterday was Randy's birthday. Woo! Happy Happy birthday, birthday. Randy. Thank you. My birthday is coming up on August 17th. A conversation that, thank you. Why are you laughing? <laughs> no, Do you well, know I did, an August 17th? Do you know another August 17th? No? No. Oh, no. no, no these are timeless, no. though, these podcasts. Right. We got into a conversation yesterday about when we may have been conceived. Randy and I are trying, because we're two weeks apart, right? I'm thinking that if Randy was born on August 5th, is it possible that he was a Halloween night conception? Is that possible? No. Uh, well, no? No, it's... Oh. It, the the way the way you can figure this out is yes if, if we want a calculator just say say Dr. Randy Stu's conception calculator say Randy was due on August fifth I'm not saying that you were two weeks early two weeks late but just we'd have to ask his mom for the sake of I was being on time due then the way you fi- then the way you figure out um, when you concep- conception would have occurred would have been you you add three months and take away seven days. Hold on a and second. And then you okay. got to add two weeks to that. Right, well, let's do this with me. My birthday's August 17th. So we're going well, let's, oh. let's, to... Let's, let's, let's do a fictitious one, all right? Okay. Say, somebody's, say a woman's last menstrual but, period was... But can't it all be about me? Yeah, but I can't... I can't oh, do okay, the, all right. Okay, I, fine. I can't do the math on my head on the radio. It would be awfully dull radio okay. for about a 10-second silence or 20-second silence. Okay. Let's just say somebody's last menstrual period was February 15th, okay? Their due date would be three months prior to that, which would be, what, November? Yeah. Right? right? 15th plus seven days would be November 22nd. Okay. So now if her last menstrual period was February 15th and she has a 28-day cycle, then some conception would have occurred around around March 1st. Okay. Okay. So All right. Now, if we're taking Randy specifically and you were born on November what? August 5th. August, August 5th. 5th. So we go add three months to that, which would be November or uh, the end of October, and then you add two weeks to that. So mm-hmm. it would have been... The couple first week or two in November when when would have been when you can see, but I, I may be wrong baby. on that. But, okay. I'll try to have I'll have Veterans Day. Go ahead. I was going to say women also gestate differently. You know, my friend, she just gave birth last night at forty-one weeks oh, and four congratulations days. to her. Shout out to Sunny. Congratulations, <laughs> second congratulations girl. Sunny. Um, you know, she gestates a lot slower. What I would say because she was at forty-one and four days, forty-one weeks and four days, and I had my son. 37 weeks to the day. Oh, see? So it's different. So, is there something special about Halloween that you wanted to be conceived on? No. See, I, <laughs> it just would have made more sense. It would have made more sense. You know, and I what, think... is Halloween a day where people have sex? I think it is. Yeah. Not, really? I don't think it's a day when you have sex. Not when you have kids, you don't. Hey, oh, that might go, be true. That, kids go to sleep. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. We can't always rule it out. <laughs> see, I always think I'm August 17th. I think my mom and dad maybe Thanksgiving weekend. That's what I'm thinking. 
that's, that's when right. it happened. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, you can, these that's, are the things I think about. That's what they said. Let's make a Whitman sampler. Right. Yeah, thank you. Very All right, much. I'll tell you what. When when we're on a break and before one of our next podcasts, yeah, we'll break out. I'm going to do the math. We'll I'm going to do the, the math. I'm going to have the answer for you. And you'll break out your due date wheel. Well, Sarah Avalos, you are incredible. If folks want to get in touch with you, is there a quick way that you'd want to promote that people get in touch with you? We'll certainly have on Dr. Stu's podcast a link, of course, uh, of course. for folks to get in contact. Yeah, why don't you, you. before, you, and, and, and along that line, tell us a little bit about your project that you, that your, your website that, that you talk about, with preparing okay. women okay. For, for the whole process. So I, like I said, I'm a childbirth educator and a labor support doula. But right now I'm focusing more on the educational part because I really feel like we touched on the neocortex and I really feel like if women know that that portion of their brain needs to take a back seat uh, during the labor process when that primal, um, you know, primitive structure of your brain takes over, it helps a lot. So a lot of times when I'm working with families, I say men, husbands, uh, fathers to be pay attention because you'll need to remember some of this because the woman doesn't have to. You know, she can fill her brain with as much knowledge as she feels fit, which is good because then her neocortex feels prepared and it can take, like I said, a back seat during labor. And um, really, that is my focus and the mammalian needs, which a lot of times Dr. Stu always touches on it. It's they're not being met in the hospital. Um, so really, it's all about educating the women in their present state and for them to know that it's OK to surrender. It's all normal um you know i'm sure your care provider will let you know if it isn't but um it's all normal to feel you know like you don't know what to expect but to be prepared um with the primal needs is probably the most important mm. so yeah well. you're gonna you're gonna give birth whether you whether you want to or not exactly. right. <laughs> right. Yeah, you i agree you might, happen, right? you might as well let go and let nature do its thing so, uh, yeah, so Sarah, give, then, give us, your, give us, oh, go ahead. And I was going to also mention, um, we don't oftentimes talk about the placenta and that use, you know, women do consume their placenta. Um, and some people may think that's weird or gross or disgusting, but it is filled with nutrients. And I also think a big portion um, of my class will probably be taught by a fellow doula who has a lot of knowledge about the placenta and its uses and its benefits because it has been shown to decrease um, when consumed raw or encapsulated, um, decrease in some types of postpartum depression or postpartum mood disorders mm. as well. You want to give her her name out to Amelia Brady. There you go. Oh, Hi, okay. Amelia. You can find her well, this is uh, Randy. We have met our first doula. You have to make a note of it. I've never met a doula before. Well, I've nice met to meet a doula you. before, but this uh, might be my favorite doula. Brian, so you probably oh, met a doula before. It. You just didn't know she was a doula. Well, yeah, you're right. But <laughs> right. You're right. okay, that, that, that's very fair. And uh, your website is uh, full of life birth. Dot webs dot com. All right, full of life birth dot webs dot com. Exactly. For Sarah Avalos, Dr. Stu's podcast. Thank you, Dr. Stu. As Thank always. you, Brian, and a happy birthday coming up. And Randy, happy birthday to you. Absolutely. You. Thanks for joining us. Go to drstuespodcast.com, peruse the website, a lot of videos, a lot of blogs, a lot of great information there. Subscribe on iTunes, leave Dr. Stu five stars and positive feedback too. He's a doctor, but he still needs the reinforcement. We all do. It's only human. Thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Stu's podcast.